We dive right into our series called An Unlikely Hero, The Story of Moses, which, lo and behold, is in the Old Testament. Um, and I just want to recap quickly of what we've looked at um, with his life. Again, we called it An Unlikely Hero because Moses, his history, his story, his personality, it's just you look at him, it's like, really? He was the chosen one to lead Israel he became the hero who was used to lead Israel out of, out of slavery, out of Egypt and, and into the promised land. And on the first day, we called it the making of a hero. We looked at how God uses and directs our life stories as, as difficult as they might be, as, as, um, as heartbreaking as our story might be at times. God will use it. He will direct our story to, to prepare us for the things that he wants to call us to. And he, he has created us with, with certain qualities, with certain passions that he wants to use in his calling in our lives the making of a hero. Then we looked at the breaking of a hero and some of the things that Moses needed to be broken off. He, he had to spend 40 years on his own, separated from, from his, his culture, his birth culture, the Jewish culture, separated from the, the, the family, the royal family of Egypt that raised him. He had to flee 40 years in the desert working for his father-in-law. Yes, can you imagine? 40 years of, of being broken and humbled and being prepared for that moment at that burning bush when God called him in spite of everything, called him to be his man, to, to be his leader, and calling him into complete dependence of him. Then we looked at the challenges of a, of a hero and looking at, at once he accepted the call, it's like the problems just started. And so often we have this concept of, man, if I'm in God's will, have you heard the saying, the best place to be is in God's will? Have you heard that? That's true, but it's also the most dangerous place to be. It's often the most painful place to be. See, God never says, if I call you to something and, and I'll, I'll call you to do this, never promises, oh, it's going to be sweet, smooth sailing from there. It's just going to be easy and successful. Never, ever. And so often we look at, at our calling, maybe at ministries who don't flourish as the way they should. Maybe K2 isn't growing as much as it should. And the thought is, are we doing something wrong? Are we outside of God's will? And Moses' life shows us clearly. He, he faced challenges everywhere he went. Challenges, obstacles, opposition didn't mean he wasn't in the will of God. It just meant God wanted him to persevere. The challenges of a hero... And today we're going to look at the failures of a hero. We're going to look at the failures of a hero. So Moses has been called. He's, he's following God's call. He is God's leader of the people of Israel. They have now left Egypt. And they're, they're, they're moving towards the promised land that God has for them. And you know what? Moses, this man of God, he fails. He fails multiple times. And yet he is, he is still called a hero, a hero of faith. He is God's chosen leader. And I, I don't want any of us to have an excuse to check out of this message because you might think, well, I'm not a hero or I'm not a leader. That's why we called it an unlikely hero. All of us are unlikely to be used by God. If we look at our lives, if we look at our capacities, our capabilities, our credentials, and then look at the real us and our failures and our shortcomings, 
I can just tell you, I'm the most unlikely person to be standing up here. And you might feel like you're the most unlikely person to lead anything or to be used by God. And that's the beauty. He chooses unlikely people like you and me. You might not be leading an organization or a business or a church or whatever, but you're leading something. You're leading somebody. You have a sphere of influence in your life. There's people who look to you, whether you know that or not. You have people who look to you that you have influence over, whether that's your family or friends or, or co-workers, people you rub shoulders with daily, somebody sitting next to you right now. You have influence in your life. And God wants to use you in that sphere of influence. You know, looking at, at failure today, I think there's two problems really when it comes to failure. First one The first problem of failure is we all do it. We all fail. You fail, I fail all the time. So the problem is we, we do it. If you spend any significant time with me, I can promise you two things. First thing is it's not going to be boring. The second thing is I'm going to fail you sooner or later. I guarantee it. I will fail you. The second problem we have, besides that we all fail, the second problem is our perspective of failure. See, the way we in our culture look at failure is that it's a lack of success. It's the opposite of success. We, there's always, really, in so many situations in our life, there's either pass, good, or fail, bad. It's black or white. We, we pass or fail a driving test. We pass or fail an exam in school. We, we pass or fail finals. We, it's black and white. And as a culture, because of that, we try to avoid failure at all costs. Right? Anybody here who strives for failure, who enjoys failure? Anybody honestly? Not looking back. Sure, looking back, we can look at failures and say, oh man, I'm, I'm actually glad that happens. But is anybody here today striving for failure in anything? We're not. As a culture, we, we avoid failure at all costs because I think our perspective is, if I fail, I am a failure. Isn't that how we so often feel? I fail, therefore I must be a failure. That's the second problem we have with failure. It's a problem of perspective. And whenever there's a problem, I at least like to look for a solution. And I think the solution to our problem of failure is God's grace. It is his perspective of grace when it comes to your and my failure. God's grace and his perspective of grace on your and my failures is the solution to our problem. See, our perspective is failing makes me a failure and God's perspective is failing can make you a hero. Failing can make you a hero. So I want to look at, you, at Moses' life and I had to pick some of the failures. There's a lot more that we could have looked at. There's maybe different angles we could have taken but I want to look at you at three types of failures in Moses' life and I don't want to do that to point fingers at Moses and say, look at, look at this guy. Not at all but to look at the kinds of failure he faced, because I know for me those, I totally identify with me and my life and my failures. 
And then we look at how did Moses approach these? What did they lead to in his life? And then how did God move into these failures? What is God's perspective on Moses' failures specifically? And what can we learn from them? Before we do that, I'd love to pray one more time. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the characters in the Bible that we can read about, that we can follow, that we can learn from in the good and, and in the bad. So I thank you for Moses. Thank you for his life and for his, his pursuit of you. And Lord, I do thank you for his failures. Thank you that in the midst of his failures, we can see your grace and your sovereignty and your love. And I pray, Father, that this morning, that yes, we might be confronted with failures in our lives, but God, I pray that our failures would just be washed away this morning by the wave and ocean of your grace. Lord, that you would replace with your truth the lies that the enemy wants to plant in our lives about our failures. Lord, would you speak this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know. I, I feel super vulnerable this morning. I don't know why. <laughs> Actually, I think I do know why. See, God's timing sometimes is really... Uh, not sometimes, it's pretty much right on, <laughs> always. Speaking about failure uh, this morning, I, I got to tell you, I've never felt this unprepared for a message. I've never felt this uh, incompetent <laughs> to bring a message, and maybe that's just what God wants. See, Moses, Moses had many shortcomings. He had many failures even after he, he received God's call. And none of us are exempt of that. Wherever we are in our walk with Jesus, whatever he has called you to and me to, we're going to fail. The number one or the first one that I want to look at here with Moses is, is Moses' failures of fear. Moses' failures of fear. There's a couple of stories I briefly want to retell. One is in Moses, th in Numbers, <laughs> Moses. In German, we actually call the first five books of the Bible, Moses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. It makes it a lot easier <laughs> than Genesis, Exodus, and so on. <laughs> anyway, in Numbers 13, Moses has led Israel through the desert already. Hasn't, hasn't been 40 years yet, but they actually approach the land that God has for them. And they're, they're supposed to take possession of the land. God's promise, God's reward. This is what they've been waiting for as a people for hundreds of years. They are there. God has miraculously brought them out of Egypt, parted the Red Sea. Unbelievable. Brought them through it. And I, I read at some point that critics said, well, the Red Sea at that point was only ankle high. Well, that's okay. But then the great miracle is that God drained the army of Egypt in ankle-high water. You know, so either way, it's a miracle. But, so he, he brought them miraculously out of Egypt, brought them there. They're here. And he says, okay, guys, we're going to take 12 of you. You're going to go in there, and, and you're going to scout this out so that we know what we're getting. 
And so the people of Israel and Moses, they're waiting there for these guys to come back. It's Joshua, Caleb, and 10 others. And they go into the land and they come back. And Joshua and Caleb, they're just like, man, this is more and better than everything God promised us. I mean, there's rivers of milk and honey. And that was an expression, uh, symbolic. Uh, Everything we need and more. It is unbelievable. We can't believe God's giving us this. And then the other ten come and say, yeah, but, (laughs) big buts, yeah, but. Have you seen the people there? Huge, powerful, strong. They looked at us as like grasshoppers. In their eyes, we looked like grasshoppers. There's no way we can do this. And here comes Moses' failure of fear. Instead of being the, the, the leader who stands on God's promises. No, God has promised us. This. He's already parted the sea. He's already led us out of Egypt. He's already provided for us through the desert. This is his deal. And leading the charge, he gave in to the fear of the spies and the fear they had instilled into the people of Israel. And he didn't stand up to it. A failure of fear. And let me just tell you, I will be the last to point the finger at Moses. Fear is a major cause of my failures. I don't know about you. Fear of God not providing. Fear of God not showing up. Fear of people's opinion. Moses led in fear in that moment. And you know what the consequence was? Another 40 years in the desert. Not just for him but for all the people. 40 years in the desert. Just that our failures don't just have effects on our life, but our failures affect others around us. Moses had a, a history, like me, of a fear of people's opinion. At some point, it gets so bad, we read that in Numbers 11, that Moses, because of his fear of people's opinion on him, the the people of Israel rebelling against him and challenging him, and his fear of how they see him, he gets so frustrated and depressed that he literally asks God to take his life. Fear of the people rather than fear of God. And then we call this message failures of a hero and his sidekick. His sidekick would be Aaron, his brother, whom God had given him as the one who would be his mouthpiece because Moses had a stutter and he wasn't a good public speaker and, and God said, I'll give you Aaron. Aaron will speak for you. So he surrounded him with people to, to, to work towards his, his weaknesses. And at some point, this is, Um, Also in Numbers, while Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God and receiving the Ten Commandments, the two plates with the the two commandments from him, it takes a lot longer than the people of Israel expect. And in the meantime, sidekick Aaron is leading Israel. He's probably a little uncomfortable, but maybe also likes that, well, man, I can step it up here and I'm I'm in charge while, while big brother Moses isn't here. And Aaron is the classic example of leading in the fear of people. Because the people started grumbling and grumbling and Moses isn't here and, and we haven't heard from God. And now these, again, these are people who walked between walls of water through the Red Sea, who have seen a, a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of clouds by day through the desert and they start grumbling and doubting God. 
And Aaron gives in to the fear because now they're challenging him as a leader. And all he's concerned with is giving them what they want. Give them what they want. And what do they want? They want a false god to worship. And so Aaron, the priest, the one who's supposed to lead Israel in the worship of the one true God, gives in to his fears of the people's expectations of him. And he makes the golden calf and then leads Israel in worshiping that idol. Leading out of fear. Leading to please. Paul addresses it in the New Testament in in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I can just tell you, I so identify with this failure of fear, with this failure of fear to please people's expectations. I shared with you in April what God had done in my life and, and, and just the freedom he had given me. One of the, the number one things he, he started to give me freedom was, was setting me free from wanting to please you here on Sunday mornings. To set me free from spending more time on finding funny illustrations so you have a good laugh so that you would walk home and think, well, Christian's an entertaining speaker. But to begin fearing God more than men, not fear as in afraid, but fear in God, you matter. <laughs> what you want matters, not people's expectations of me. And most of the time they're assumed anyway. So Moses, Aaron's perspective here was the fear of the people, was their popularity, their status. And the consequences were 40 years in the desert and depression for Moses because he couldn't handle the people's disapproval of him. The second failure that, that we see in Moses as he leads Israel through the desert is, is a failure of pride. And again, let me just tell you, it's I can so identify with this failure of pride. In this instant when Aaron made that golden calf and eventually Moses comes down the mountain and he sees from a distance what's going on. And here's a guy who has just spent days, I forgot the exact time frame, but extended, actually I think it was weeks, in God's presence on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. I mean, he's holding these, these stone plates that God with his finger scraped and edged the Ten Commandments. And I mean, could you imagine being that guy just having spent that time in God's presence and he comes down and he sees the people he's supposed to lead worshiping a golden calf. And he gets mad. <laughs> he gets mad that he takes these plates that God has just put together for him and smashes him. He gets angry. And he has a history of anger. Just a little. He has a little bit of an anger issue. <laughs> we saw that in the very beginning with the guard in Egypt out of anger killing him. Then we see it here, we see it throughout him leading the people of, of Israel where he just gets angry at their rebellion, just angry at their ignorance, angry at their dis, disobedience. 
angry with the people to the point again of wanting to die. And then there is one other incident that seems insignificant but has significant ramifications. In the desert, God was providing for them miraculously. He was providing food miraculously and he was providing uh, uh, liquids, water miraculously and multiple times in different ways at some point God told Moses to go up to this rock and to strike it with his staff and he did and water came out he provided for the people of Israel at another instance God tells him well you guys need some more water I want you to go to this rock and speak to that rock and Moses for some reason was not in a good mood that day he was like he was, whether he was angry or just prideful, thinking, I'm going to do this my way. This has worked before. I'm going to do it again. And he went and hit the rock again. And water came out. But he didn't do what God had told him to do. Either out of anger or out just out of a sense, well, I, I've done this before. I, I know I can do this. I can do this my, my way. And it says in there that the, that the consequence of that action, of striking instead of speaking, seems pretty small, doesn't it? I mean, water came out. And, you, know, you know what the consequence for Moses was? To, for that disobedience, God said, Moses, you dishonored me. I cannot let you lead the people into the promised land. I, will, I cannot allow you to see the promised land. I cannot allow you to reap the rewards that I've promised the people of Israel. Now, to me, when I read that, I'm like, are you kidding me? That seems so unproportionate. And I read a really interesting, no, someone told me <laughs> about a really interesting um, um, interpretation of that that all of these instances where Moses leads the people of Israel really and we will go into this in the Old Testament class by the way said the Old Testament is supposed to paint a picture of Jesus and the need for Jesus and throughout the people of uh, the, the the history of Israel God gives us pictures of of who Jesus is going to be and what role he's going to play and this commentator said that that these these Times when Moses is supposed to be the, the one who, who brings and provides are all pictures of Jesus. And that when he struck the rock, that, that the rock was the picture of Jesus being, being struck for us and giving living water uh, for us. And in the New Testament, he's called the living water, right? And he's called the rock, also the rock of our faith. And that in this second incident, Moses was to show the people that Jesus was also the word of God, that his word would bring forth life. And that somehow he misrepresented God, that he misrepresented the Messiah as the chosen leader of God's people. All that to say that there is consequences to our failures. There's consequences. But what's interesting is God doesn't say, Moses, you can't be the leader of Israel anymore. That's done. Your call is done. What he says, you're still my man, Moses. You will lead the people. But there is going to be a consequence to your dishonoring me, to you, to you disobeying what I've asked you to do. See, it would have been easy for Moses in, in all of those instances, his outbursts of anger, his, his moments of, of not quite obeying God in what he told him to, to say. And this would be my tendency to say, I'm just not, I'm just not qualified. I just, I just can't do this. And I will tell you, this week, you know, in February, I etched this verse on my arm that it is for freedom that Christ has set me free. 
And this week, there was an incident where I stepped out of that freedom and into bondage again. And I failed in a way that might be small to you, but it was really significant to me. And right away, I will tell you, there was this voice that hammered me. See, Christian, you are a failure. You can't lead. But because I know Jesus, I could take that to him and say, Jesus, I know that voice isn't from you. I know Moses failed and you redeemed it. And I don't want to listen to the enemy. See, whenever we fail, the enemy just wants to sleep, sneak right in there. The Bible calls him Satan, and he's real. And he wants us to give in to these failures. And I guarantee you he tormented Moses over his failures, just like he tries to do with me and with you. But thankfully we have Jesus and the freedom that he brings where we don't need to give in to that, where we don't need to listen to that, where there is forgiveness and grace over and over and over. Moses failed in fear and he failed in pride. And then there's one I want to focus on and that is, I called it the failure of good intentions. You know, not all failure is plain wrong because we, we do something wrong. Sometimes we, we do things in good intentions and they just turn out badly. You know, like I come home to my wife and I say, honey, you got highlights? No, that's a gray streak. Oh, sorry, I, I was, it was well-intentioned. I meant to give you a compliment. But boy, I'm in the doghouse. I failure of good intentions. Moses had those. There's a point fairly early on as he's leading Israel And this often is a failure of leaders, by the way. Moses thought he had to do it all. Maybe that was part of the expectation he felt from the people, or it was an expectation that he put on himself, but he felt he had to do it all. And he was wearing himself out. I mean, this Moses really was, was the first burnout in history. And somewhere in that time, he, he comes and visits his father-in-law and says, man, I just, I am worn out. I have to be the judge of every little conflict with these people and I, I don't have enough time in the day to meet with them all and I can't do it anymore. And I guarantee you, if he was anything like me, he was sitting there like, I'm a failure. I can't do it all. I can't meet all the expectations. I can't do it. A failure of, of good intentions, of good intentions of wanting to lead well and wanting to do and meet all the expectations. And his father-in-law gave him great advice. He just says, well, Why don't you find a few others? Find a few others that you can raise and teach and, and show them how to do what you're doing. So you can't do it all. It's impossible. And so he learned and he put it into practice. See, his perspective was, I got to do this. I got to succeed on my own. And the consequence was the first burnout in history. With all of these, I guarantee you, Moses wanted to give in to this voice that kept telling him, you're not a leader, you can't do this, you are a failure. But then there was God's perspective and how God led him through these instances. You know, with the failures of fear, really what, what God, I think, did with Moses here is was 
all right, Moses, you don't, you don't trust me completely yet. When he, when he gave in to the, to the spies and their report of Israel, God, God, okay, Moses, you don't trust me enough. You don't trust yet that I can do this? All right, you know what? I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that I'm trustworthy. It's going to take another 40 years, but I'm going to show you. See, fear, I think, is always a lack of trust in God. When we're overcome by fear, I know for me, when I, when I fear that he won't show up in a situation, when I fear that he won't provide, when I, I fear that, that I can't bring the message on Sunday morning, it's always a lack of trust in God to do what he says he would do. You know that more than any other command throughout the whole Bible, Old or New Testament, is God telling his people, fear not. Fear not. The number one thing that he told Joshua when he took over from Moses to lead the people into Israel, he says, do not be afraid. There's over 400 instances all through the, through the, uh, the Bible where God tells us, do not fear. But trust in me. In Romans 8, 15, he says this. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. Sorry, uh, make, uh, fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. What he's saying is, when you've become my child, when you follow me, I didn't give you a spirit of fear. I gave you the spirit of my son, which makes you my child, and you can call me daddy. And what do we do with our father? We trust him. See, God's perspective on Moses' fear and leading in fear was not, oh man, I'm, he just, he, I, I just can't deal with Moses anymore. No, what, what God said, when he looked at Moses, he says, okay, Moses, I'm going to lead you from fear to faith. God never gave up on Moses. He says, okay, that's part of this journey. And he says, I'm going to lead you from fear to faith. And that's what God is telling you and me today. If you live in fear, if you lead in fear, if you make decisions in fear, God's telling you this morning, that doesn't mean I can't use you. It just means I'm going to lead you from fear into faith. Moses' failure of pride. You know, several times Moses throughout this life, if you read through, through this Exodus and, and Numbers, comes to this point of deep, deep anger and frustration. Anger came out when the people weren't listening to him, when they weren't doing what Moses told them to do, when they would rebel and grumble and complain. But I think Moses' anger, I think Moses' anger was less directed at the people as it was directed as his sense of failing to lead them better thinking that, that their actions were actually directed at him rather than at God. And him feeling, I just cannot do it. And I'm, I guarantee you, Moses came back to God and said, remember that burning bush thingy you did with me? Huh? That trick you pulled on me? Didn't I tell you I can't do this? Didn't I tell you I can't do this? God said, yes, you told me. Moses came to the point of quitting several times, getting so depressed, wanting to die, feeling incompetent and like a failure. And I bet you some of his anger was at God for setting him up for failure. You know what God's perspective was on Moses coming to the end of his rope? 
God's perspective of Moses coming to the end of his rope or you and I coming to the end of our rope saying, I can't do this, is God saying, good, (laughs) I knew that. I just needed you to realize that and come to that point so that now I can be the one who gives you the strength and the grace to do what I want to do. It's not up to you, Moses, to do it. And he's telling you today, it's not up to you to do whatever God calls you to. It's not up to me to lead K2 or give inspiring messages on Sunday morning. It's him doing it through Moses and through you and through me. Not because of Moses, you and me, but in spite of Moses, you and me. He wants us to come to the point of complete failure because then he can start his work and we can stop taking credit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, almost there. 2 Corinthians 12, 10, Paul says, this, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And what he means with I am strong is when I am weak, I can be strong because then Jesus can finally work through him. Because he realizes he's come to the end of his robe and his wisdom and his strength. And so did Moses. And God didn't say, what? You're weak? You're tired? You can't do this? Oh, I'm done with you. He says, no, good. Now let's go. Let me go for you and do this in and through you. And then the failures of good intentions. Again, Moses thought he had to do it all by himself. But you see, God doesn't only say, okay, I want to be your strength. I will work this through you. He also surrounds us with each other. He had surrounded Moses with an army of people whom he was supposed to to include in this mission. Include and and raise up and disciple and and, and help bring up as leaders. And he's done the same for you you and me. It's called community. (laughs) He surrounded us with each other so that we can step in and support and help and train each other and disciple each other. And I will tell you, I feel convicted that we have not done a great job as a leadership of K2. I think we hold on too much. And I want to tell you, we, 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 we are committed to, to helping turning that around and seeing who God has brought in this community, all of you, whom God wants to help lead in some way, shape, or form. See, with God, God's perspective on failure is not pass and fail. With God, failure is never final. Failures can be redeemed and turned into blessings. With God, and because of his grace, we can always, what Maxwell calls, fail forward. See, for us, sometimes failure feels like falling backwards and we're on, the, on our back like a, like a little uh, beetle and we can't get back up and it's the end of us. But with God, we can fail forward. We can fail because we can learn from it. We can fail because it gives God the opportunity to step in and do what only he can do. See, there's a great, great difference between saying, I failed three times, I failed 30 times, I failed 300 times, and saying, I'm a failure. There's a great difference. See, with God, failure never defines you failure doesn't define you will you fail yes will i fail even more but god is there to redeem it 
and to give forgiveness and grace. What time is it? Am I out of time? I have no idea. I have no, what time is it? Can I keep going another five minutes? 10.45? Okay, I was going to tell you a story of epic failure and how it got redeemed. Most of you know the story of the prodigal son. Just unbelievable failure, pride, and, and, and failure. In the end, when he finds himself at rock bottom, when he finds himself, and quick story, he took all of his inheritance from his father prior, squandered it all, but unbelievable foolishness, and, and ends up completely broke and, and tending someone else's pigs and eating pig food. Rock bottom. By any accounts, complete failure. Complete failure. But he finds the strength to go back to the father whom he know loves him. He doesn't expect to be accepted as a son, but maybe, maybe somehow earning his way into his father's graces again. And so he humbled, humiliated, he makes his way home and his father just receives him in, with total grace and forgiveness and receives him back. He doesn't have to earn a thing. He just brings him back into the family and showers him with love and with grace. And Jesus tells that story as a picture of how God responds to your and my failures. Forgiveness and complete, complete grace. Another great story that you might want to look up sometime is the story of J.K. Rowling, the, the author of, of um, what is it, Harry Potter. Unbelievable failure that led to unbelievable success. And she said this about that experience. I won't go into all the details, but she said, so rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. Rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. By all accounts, from an economic standpoint, unbelievable success out of unbelievable failure. What she doesn't mention here, and I don't know where she stands with God. I have no idea. I would, won't want to presume anything. She says, at rock bottom, she rebuilt her life. See, God's story is, you don't have to rebuild your life. Rock bottom is where I want to come in. Rock bottom is where Jesus, the rock, wants to come in. He wants to be your rock bottom on which God can rebuild your life. You don't have to do it yourself. That is God's grace. See, our greatest failure, all of our greatest failure, is our failure to work our way into God's graces. All of us will fail at earning God's forgiveness. All of us will fail at earning God's God's love and his fathership. All of us are spiritually at rock bottom and failed. Romans says, all of us have sinned. All of us fall short, fall short of the glory of God. And that's where Jesus comes in, in our deepest and most basic failure. God's grace came in and says, I will do this for you. And Jesus stepped in and he took your shame and your failures and your guilt and mine. And he took it. He bridged the gap that you and I could not. He overcame you and my greatest failure. And I just want to encourage you, if, if you're at that point this morning where you just feel you are a failure, 
where you feel your life has failed, you just don't know where else to go. That's where Jesus wants to meet you. That's where he wants to come in and bring his life and his forgiveness and his grace and where he wants to begin to rebuild your life in the way that he designed it for you. And maybe you're where I was this week and where I am continuously are. I want to follow Jesus with all my heart. And I fail. <laughs> I fail God and I fail people. But I just want to encourage you, do not give in to the lie of the enemy that comes in right away when we fail, the second we fail, and says, see, see your failure because you are not. And you are not because God says you're not. God says you're his child and you're precious. And he wants to forgive and redeem every failure in our life and turn it into a blessing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your grace and for your love. I don't know how I would exist without it. Lord, thank you that your love and your grace, your word drowns out the lies of the enemy. Lord, help us not to give in to those, those lies. Help us not to live in those lies where we feel we can't be used by you. Lord, speak your truth and your grace into our hearts and into our lives. Redeem them. Make us unlikely heroes for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.